This is our third season. That doesn't help me. So it's been two years. This, this is the third. This okay, is the third. so two years. Two years. Well, this. we were a bunch of tryhards, and we tried to do a season per semester. It's the program. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that will be another episode. An amazing back to this episode. An amazing start to today's episode. Um, speaking of today's episode, is actually very special to us and um, for us to be here. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's very special for numerous reasons. For all of season three, we've been recording with you being up in the cold, cold tundra that is Illinois. Illinois <laughs> <laughs> is absolutely beautiful, but it was like really cold recently with the polar vortex. It was okay. so cold. But if you did not notice the change in audio quality today, Robin is literally in Alabama. Yeah, in the same so room. you can probably hear Alabama came home to Robin. Robin came <laughs> home to her alma mater. She doesn't have that digitized sound that she normally has. Oh, I know. Actually, well, you never know. It's me and my voice. That's true. Uh, why else is it special? Though? Why yeah, else why is it special? Else? Well, the three of us met here at Alabama in the for, uh, Modern Languages and Classics program. And we've been putting up with each other now for three years, I believe. Something like that. Something like that. Um, and so it's nice to be able to record this special um, panel, in fact, in uh, at this conference where uh, actually all of us have worked with. So for today, we are actually very excited to be welcoming this lovely panel of graduate students who have agreed to chit chat with us about their experiences thus far in the in the grad world. So we'll begin off with um, having them introduce themselves, and then we'll get into a talk about their research interests and maybe some experiences they've had in graduate school. And then finally, we would definitely love to engage our audience, our very large audience. <laughs> For the first time ever, we're recording in With front an of an audience. We could so, not fit all these people in the Sanford Media Center, let me tell you what. It would be, it would, it would it would be, be really bad. It would be really hot. It would be really bad. Yeah. Um, so we're looking forward to ch chatting with all of you guys. Um, so why don't we go ahead and kick it off right. with Miss Elizabeth. Hello, my name is Elizabeth Naranjo Hayes. I am in my second semester of my PhD program in Spanish linguistics and French. Um, I was teaching at a university in Georgia for about eight years before this, and I said, "Put me that I'm going to go do what I really want to do in life and go study social linguistics." There we go. Very it. cool. Okay. Awesome. And our next guest. I'm Lauren Caldwell. Um, I'm a grad student from Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I'm studying English, in particular, I'm looking at Old English and translations is kind of what my research is about. Um, and I hope to go on to a PhD program and then eventually teach like college English. Okay, so, yeah. very cool. Excellent. And then our third guest today is... Hello, my name is Linda Manti. Um, I'm a graduate <laughs> <laughs> Linda has been a, like, a, a big part of like Gravin's you know, family for a while. And so we're finally having her I'm as a guest. She does the behind the scenes. She's watched the show, rather watch. She's listened to every. <laughs> I'm glad that we. She's watched that. it. Yeah. She's watched. So, I've watched you guys. I've listened to you guys. So, <laughs> giving you hugs after presentations. Yes. So we are very excited. Linda, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, well, I guess there's just two things you should know about me. One, my uh, first degree from here at UA is in German, and I specialized in German linguistics. And now I'm working on a second master's in applied linguistics and TESOL. And TESOL is teaching English as a second or other language. Okay, so well, there's a third thing though, right? You have a puppy, and his name is Norman. Oh, he's like the Norman Bernard Norman Bernard Lovingsworth. Norman, but sometimes I like to. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
amazing. Next right. Halloween, he's going as Noam Chomsky. Yes. And it will be a lawn gnome with a Chomsky face. I am so excited for the Instagram post on that one. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Oh, it's going to be great. Oh, my gosh. If you couldn't tell, we all love linguistics here. We do. We all do. We are about to together out of love for linguistics and for these ridiculous alliterations and puns that are just constantly. No. Yes. Norm Chomsky. We are going to hear a lot about uh, our guests' research. We're going to talk about the lessons that they've learned during their time in graduate school. And the great thing is that we're going to really bring in, um, we're going to bring in a bunch of different perspectives as far as what linguistics is. And we're going to hear from, for the very first time ever, a few things from our audience members. And Woo! no, I mean, so no stress, excited. of course. You don't want to ask any questions. We can talk for days as it is. Yeah, so <laughs> you guys stay tuned. We will be right back after this very short break. Some hot steaks. Exactly. <laughs> you thought that you were just at a regional. <laughs> I feel special. 
You should. You should. Actually, I felt super special earlier when I was actually just the audience member. And the topic was super, super interesting. And I thought of something. And I asked him the questions, and the researcher was like, oh my gosh, you just made this whole trip worth it. Oh my gosh. I never would have thought of that. He was wonderful. He was wonderful. And I was like, oh. (laughs) This is the purpose. (laughs) The really good thing about our conference is that, well, a lot of people from the University of Alabama present. It's one of the ways that we can get our master's students and PhD Mm -hmm. students to present for the very first time Mm -hmm. in a safe place. But also, it's very like high quality research that mm-hmm. comes out, and it's a graduate student run conference, and that mm-hmm. really means right. a lot mm-hmm. as far as. But anyways, yeah. So, okay, so you got to take part, and I guess is, it wasn't that scary, was it? No, it actually wasn't. I just someone told me to just present it as if I were teaching a class. So yeah. I can totally teach a class. I'm just, I'm just sharing what makes this so interesting. I thought I was actually really flattered that the literature people came and told me, wow, that was really interesting. Like, I, I normally don't like linguistics, but I totally get it. And I was like, aww. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of your teaching experience, you have so much. I know. Yes. You've taught for so long. I have. And then you decided to, <laughs> and you decided to come to Alabama and pursue your PhD. Yes. Alongside your husband, who's also pursuing a PhD in a language I don't understand, which is math. He's in the <laughs> audience, by the way. Yes, he he's here. We're he's not here. just talking about him. He's Very much. Yes, he's here. Um, and so I was wondering, like, what made you want to come back? Um, back to the being on the other side of the classroom, not in the front, but back in a back in a desk yourself. As my husband laughs. Um, well, um, I have been teaching. I was I was teaching at a university for eight years. I was a full time lecturer. I was absolutely like not even trying to front. I was like the best at what I did, but I was tapped out because I didn't have a PhD. The first year back, how does it feel? Have you, has it kind of affected your teaching? Has it affected you know? Your teaching experiences haven't um, informed your experiences as a student now. Part of me is like the super ultra, ultra uber nerd. Okay. So part of it like just loves it. Oh my gosh. But at the same time, for me, it's been kind of humbling because I've always been the one in charge. Mm-hmm. And I have to, for the first time, not take the, like I'm consciously trying not to take a leadership position because that's my nature. Right. I was an army officer. I'm like, I got it. I'll do it. It'll get done. And I have been challenged by a couple of faculty members here, like, no, you need to stop and you need to just let someone else take the lead for once Mm -hmm. in your life. Mm -hmm. So that's been really hard for me. Right. I do remember, okay, so you were really interested. I do remember meeting you last year at this conference. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your trajectory as far as where do you see yourself? Are you going to continue with this um, and as the research? Are you going to continue? Was this a stepping stone for you? And that's totally fine if it is, right? I mean, it was, I mean, honestly, it was just kind of a fluke, just kind of like the first thing that I was like, huh. And I did get a lot of help. I think it was, it was a really, I guess a stepping stone, but it was really a learning experience for me because I'd never done this before. So it was like my first abstract, my first like, you know, time using Pratt, you know, and uploading stuff, my first semester as a PhD. But what I really, really, really love is top 10 Spanish music. So I want to do something with, I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to work sociolinguistics and language acquisition into the top 10 hot Latin songs mm-hmm. as they are in Billboard. And I can't quite figure out how to, but I want to kind of track track the, like the current Spanish that is being spoken right now. I'm really interested in Latinos in the US, and some, I, I just can't quite grab it. I'm Very all nice. around it. Well, Elizabeth, it's been awesome hearing about your research. I'm really excited about like where your path is going to take you. Best of luck with your PhD program Thank and you. three more years at minimum left of the UALC <laughs> conference, right? Yes. So now I want to transition into hearing a little bit about our other guest, Lauren. So Lauren, tell tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? So I'm originally from Louisiana. I got my undergrad at Baylor University in communication studies. Okay. And then that kind of transitioned me into an English master's program at Beaumont. So I'm in my second year there right now. Very so, yeah. cool. Okay. And so you also presented here. I did. Okay. Yeah. It was my first time presenting too. It was your very first yeah, time presenting? Yeah, it was. That's awesome. We have okay. these emerging scholars. Like, they're here. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, this is where I did my first. Me too. This is where Same. you did? Same. Wow. Okay. 
Very cool. So it's just like a long journey of like conferences, I guess. But okay, so more. Tell us a little bit about so, the journey. Know. The journey always starts here. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, there's no capstone at the University of Alabama. Where legends are made. Where legends are made. Anyways, Lauren, tell us a little bit about okay what your presentation was about yes. here at the conference. Yeah, so my pre presentation looked at Translations of the Wanderer, which is a really famous elegiac Old English poem. Um, and so I'm really interested in how we can make Old English more accessible to college students because it is a dead language, but at universities they usually offer either a classics degree where you can learn Latin and Greek, or you can just take Latin and Greek as your foreign language requirement, but it's not really offered for Old English in that same way. Um, and so I am really interested in how we can make that accessible to them um, outside of just hiring more old English professors and like making yeah. a whole different department. Um, and so I looked specifically at how we can do that within um, Britlet 1 classes um, and how teachers can show multiple translations of a text okay. and kind of teach the students how maybe it looks in old English and what these words mean and how translation translators decided to place those words within the text okay. and what connotations we deem from the yeah. poem because of the translator translator's choice. That is awesome. So yeah. Okay. So how did you get into this? Because that's yeah. um, your field is actually something none of us are very familiar with. Yeah. Um, and I if you couldn't tell already, I'm just like super like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. No, that's um, awesome. So Old English, like, did you have, um, at Baylor, was there, you know, a course or something? Was it Beowulf? It's usually Beowulf. So, I, I took, um, I was an English minor at okay. Baylor. Um, it took me a while to realize that English was really my thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, I took a bunch of, like, Britlet courses, told myself I didn't like Britlet, that I wanted to do American, but I kept on taking British literature courses. Mm -hmm. And then in my final semester at Baylor, I realized that, yeah, I really like medieval literature, mm -hmm. older literature. Um, and when I got, at Bel got to Belmont, a lot of my fellow grad students are more into the contemporary side of English literature. So they're looking at like what's coming out now, or like I have a lot of friends who are creative writers, and so they're wanting to go into poetry or fiction. And so I'm kind of like a lone island, the person who likes the old stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's one professor at Belmont who has really been a mentor to me, and she's mm -hmm. kind of helped me uh, look more at scholars who I wouldn't necessarily be looking at in my other classes. Okay. So more of just old English poetry and um, coming, looking at the language and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of navigated yeah. into it. Yeah. Awesome. So oh for the gosh. very first time ever, we are getting to hear about medieval literature, right, on this podcast, which is a little bit outside the theme, yeah. but at the same time, like, oh, I love it. it's like she said, it's an act, it's like a whole nother language, and exactly. it just, yeah. it takes so much to read Old English. Yeah. I mean, I worked with Old French over the summer, and I oh, could, awesome. it was so bad. <laughs> but yeah. Very cool. One of the, I was going to comment about something that she said uh, about universities not to not doing stuff with Old English. When I was studying in Germany, I took a class on Old English, and it was taught like as a dead language. And of course, it was Beowulf. Um, Obviously, yes. But, <laughs> but you know, but like, but like, honestly, we usually don't talk about medieval literature on our podcast. It's usually about linguistics, but there is kind of like a connection that I see, specifically German literature in the in this like medieval period. A lot of these texts were translated from French. They were like mm -hmm. Arthurian legend mm -hmm. texts, and so those were translated from French. And so this standardization of this literature, it has linguistic implications because these stories set the German language, yeah. right? And so like when we look back at what German was, if you do like some type of diachronic study of German, you look at the literature to inform what changes took place, right? So where do you see your research going now? Like how early in the career? Masters? Yes, yes. Master's, master's, okay. Yeah, so, so I don't fully, I've never taken an old English class. Okay. I just know from my own studies. So I really wanna, go in that direction and like actually learn the language and then go into a PhD program. Mm -hmm. That was actually something that really set you apart as far as when you were applying to be on the on the FS we did an application process, guys. It's, it's so like 
Anyways, <laughs> you you really put value on being the independent scholar and being this person that was like seeking out research as almost like extracurricular. Tell us just a little bit about that. Like, what motivates you so much yeah. to do the research that you do? Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about this the other week, actually. I'm taking a creative writing class in poetry. Mm -hmm. Creative writing isn't my thing, but for a lot of my friends, it, it is their thing. And so that's what they do in their time. They write creatively. And I just kind of realized that what I do in my time is I research and I read books and I... Creatively. Yeah, creatively. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I write an essay or two and that kind of thing. And so it's kind of just finding what you're really passionate about mm -hmm. and just pursuing it in your own way. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it's very interesting because we all at one point made the choice to go to grad school and we made the choice to do the field that we do, research what we do, and then, you know, the committees pile on, the service piles on, the teaching piles on, and then everybody's kind of like, the research is like what got me into it in the first place, but then it becomes, in so many ways, in so many senses, like a burden, because it's like, oh, but I have to finish my thesis, or oh, I have to finish my dissertation, and we kind of lose sight of, like, where we get to choose that we, this is our passion, right? We get to choose what we write about, we get to choose what we research, and it's very, it was very refreshing for me to read that you actively sought out things that were just not necessarily tied to a class or coursework that you were doing. And it reminded me, it was like, you know, I used to do that too, and I'm really ready to return to that once I'm done with my dissertation. <laughs> you know, but that's important. I mean, as a grad student, you go through these waves of like, okay, I'm really into this, and I'm seeking out all these projects, and everything seems like it could be your next project, right? There always are so many different avenues, and like what we heard from Elizabeth, like all these different avenues that she would love to go down. I've heard Elizabeth also talk about SLA before, which is really exciting. Now she's doing this and that. But that, that's part of like personal discovery as a grad student, right? And right. research becomes so tied to your identity just as much as service and research do. And now, talking about a person that has definitely made every effort to seek out as many opportunities as she possibly can, <laughs> so many. we have the lovely Miss Linda Manti. Woo! <laughs> okay, Linda, tell Thank us. Thank for that a fabulous introduction. Yes, it, it's very, uh, it's you very, uh, it's meritorious of you to have, have brought it. Robin, got sorry, I don't understand that word. <laughs> no, I put, I know, can you use that sentence? Again. Um, I meritoriously put that in my dissertation one time. Robin read a section, and she was like, "You need to take this out." <laughs> and all that, graduate teacher uh, assistantship. So of course I went with that and I loved it. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess my whole experience is the experience that shows that a student can enroll in a university thinking that they're going to go for some one thing that's so specific, but then the educational process ends up broadening and allowing that person to pursue a multitude of things. Yeah. So it's it's really weird when I tell people that I have a master's in German, but now I'm working on a second master's. Oh, yeah. And I think the first automatic assumption is that I've given up on my first master's and I'm not using it or I don't plan to use it. And that's not the case for me. I feel like my my degrees are an extension of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that and you know when I explain it to people it makes sense because when I was going through the German program I was learning how to teach a second language, mm -hmm. my second language, mm -hmm. yeah? And then uh, we were in a program with native German speakers that were teaching their first language. Yeah. And it started getting the, the ball rolling in my mind a little bit on, well, I could teach my native language as well. Yeah. Because we were starting to see, you know, or analyze what's the difference between 
the native speakers who speak, speak and, and teach German and what's that experience for them compared to us who come yeah. in and we have a, a different grouping of linguistic knowledge mm -hmm. in our brains as second language speakers who are, yeah. who are teaching this language to what is essentially our shared culture because yeah. we were teaching Americans. Exactly. Yeah, so okay. um, that really, really started getting me uh, into thinking about doing TESOL. Okay. And one of my first classes in the German program was a TESOL class. I took um, Topics in Applied Linguistics with Dr. Liu. Oh, uh, yeah. I and, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fantastic class. Um, Spanish, you know, people in the Spanish program, people in like a lot of the other master's programs with the languages, they'll take these kinds of linguistics courses. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very useful because the the key buzzwords there are second language acquisition. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I feel like there is just such a separation between TESOL and if you're teaching Spanish or if you're teaching German or mm -hmm. one of these other languages. And there, to me, in my mind, there's not such a separation because essentially it is second language acquisition. Yeah. yeah. I, you've touched on something that's very... Um, how do I say, a bit controversial in a way, the, yeah. the distinction between TESOL and SLA, right, second language acquisition. I personally, I, I don't get it necessarily, I mean, I, I know that that's an unpopular opinion and I study second language acquisition, but you know, I'm seeing a person who's literally bridging the gap between second language acquisition and TESOL, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your German studies, they focus a lot on second language acquisition. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, it's very, it's very interesting that separation and how these two sets of the two fields are like so distinct from each other, but don't necessarily distinguish themselves enough sometimes. And so that's that's very exciting to see. Um, in academia, we get so blinded by like what's in front of us that we don't see we don't see the whole picture, and so we only think of. Like we only think of like when we're teaching German, we only think of teaching German, and we think like teaching German is teaching German, and it's so different than teaching. And like, yeah, it is of course because the medium is different. But there's also things that we can learn from like teaching, like teaching English as a second language or teaching English as a foreign language, which are two distinct fields, right? And so to me, like the first time, first time I saw that, I was like, oh, this is this is crazy, you know? Like, why are why are these why is there so much divergence in this? But a lot of times we can you know we can learn things like my. Um, my sister-in-law is uh, she teaches American Sign Language, and like I've learned things for, from her about how they do testing because of the visual nature of sign language. Testing students has to be done very specifically. It has to be done in front of the teacher, right? You can't write American Sign Language. Yeah. So, and I was thinking about this question in foreign language instruction of how do we move beyond the test. And that's still like a topic in foreign language instruction is moving beyond the written test because it doesn't assess it doesn't assess oral proficiency. And then, meanwhile, like right down the hallway in American Sign Language classes, they've been doing this ever since American Sign Language. They've been assessing they've been assessing proficiency as proficiency, right? And with these fields, like we get so bogged down and saying this is this is TOEFL, this is this is TESOL, this is this is foreign language instruction. Like yeah. we can learn so much stuff from each other. Wow, what you just touched on could probably be an entire career as far as the the, <laughs> the slogan would be moving beyond the assessment test or moving beyond the test or something to that effect. But so um, moving down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't just go from one master's to a PhD. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And so you, and what's really I like about your story, it's kind of similar to Elizabeth's, you took a break. You yeah. took a year. You took a breath. Yes. Right? Um, so I wanted to ask you how that kind of informed you going in into this new program, new department, mm -hmm. out of your comfort zone. Have you had to adjust? Have you had to change up things in your in your student routines, and your teaching routines? I guess you always do. Like every semester is going to be different for you, even if it's in your same program. Right. <laughs> because essentially you're, you're working with, you know, each semester you're getting a new store of classes under your belt. Mm -hmm. And more experience and practical knowledge gained from that. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to really inform what you do, even if it's subconsciously. So for me, yeah, of course, it was an adjustment coming in, especially after taking a year break. Right. Um, but it, the transition 
process really wasn't that that difficult. Mm -hmm. Especially taking a year off made me really excited to to start the second masters. And it because made you appreciate it so much more. Absolutely. I, I remember you just when you were out of it, all you wanted to do was be back in it. And then yeah. when you were well, when you were at the end of it, no. You know, like I'm gonna pass these comprehensive exams to try to get a job or something like that. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, like after some time, you know, especially that summer had passed and then I realized, oh, actually, I, I want to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> I want to continue studying linguistics yeah. and all these things. And so we will continue on with Linda and, and Lauren and Elizabeth and talk about maybe not necessarily coming back for seconds, but what they learned. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. that time at the table. What did they do? <laughs> I, I like that. Time at the table. Time at the table. All right. We'll be right back. Basically the question here is if you could go back and think of yourself as a little baby graduate student, think about the process, where, where you are now, where you came from, what would you like to go back and tell yourself? What do you think would help you get through the process a little bit better? What have you learned? If I come all the way back to my master's degree, I would say the most important thing is for grad students to realize that we have the luxury of being able to think about what do you really, really like? What do you really, really enjoy? And then focus on that. And that is such a luxury in society because people are stuck in jobs they hate versus we get to actually like, oh, what do I really, really, really like? And no matter what it is, I mean, I saw like stuff on, I mean, all kinds of stuff today. And like, wow, well, that's what they're really, really into. It's really cool. So I would just remind myself, even when it's tough, when you haven't slept and you haven't eaten and you've got a bunch of work to do, be like, you know what? I'm here because this is what I love. So just to remember, and I think the biggest thing now that you know we're in grad school together, people ask us like, "What's it like?" Because we like uprooted our whole lives, and, you and Kate, me and my husband yeah. uprooted our whole lives, and we just moved. We left the kids, we left the family, we left the house, we left the pets, everything, and we just moved. And you know, people always ask us, "So what's it like?" And the biggest thing we've said is like, you know, grad school—it's not hard; it's just time-consuming. And that's probably the biggest takeaway. We have we have approval from the audience, support <laughs> yeah, from the audience. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's not, like, you're not going to rack your brain and, like, oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, like, there's it, just a lot of stuff to do. And it's stuff that I'm interested in. It's stuff he loves math. Stuff that he's interested in. Stuff that we're good at. So, you know, when it gets really rough, just remember. Yeah. When you're reaching for it that fourth five yeah. energy, just be like, it's for me. And it's I yeah, it is. It. It's an investment in you. <laughs> So, Lauren, the same question. Yeah, so I've definitely learned to be humble, especially with myself and with others as well, and just knowing when to ask and to seek out help from my fellow grad students and professors. And I've learned how to take criticism well, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and my first year, I realized the power of the short five-second cry in my car after class. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait. Just like after you get that like journal back and your professor's like, you know, could have yeah. been better. It's just yeah. learning how to, yeah, learning how to be attached, like detach yourself from your writing. Like yeah. that's a big thing in English, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just learning that my words aren't a reflection of my worth in any way. Exactly. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I've definitely learned to oh. do that, especially um, I made a lot of friends in my grad program. We all kind of get together and we, that really helps having that support group of other people around me who are going through the same thing I'm going through. Um, so that's definitely what I would go back and tell myself. I think, I mean, I definitely, I definitely agree. And I've started to honestly appreciate the classes more like, I mean, just compared to like when I was an undergrad, for example, a, a good class for me in undergrad was the class that was easy where the professor, like you get the paperback and it had some squiggly lines in the column or like in the margins and then, you know, it had, it had an A at the very end of it and you could tell that they didn't really read it, right? But like now, I really like, I really like the classes where someone, to like, I mean, you know, not, I don't want to to take an attack every day, right? Because I'm not really prepared for that. <laughs> Where somebody actually sits down and like pays attention to what I'm doing and ticks through it and says, you know, this is a weak claim and you're not supporting it because I mean, how am I gonna like, how are we going to be better if we, if no one sits us down and says like, this point that you have 
I'm not really seeing this. I'm not really seeing this connection. Help me see this better, right? Like we have to get better. And so now when I am taking classes, I appreciate that so much more. And that's definitely, yeah, I, I, completely, I completely agree. But I really think it's important that even though we are so determined and so dedicated, like as Elizabeth pointed out as well, you need to know that you are human, you're a grad student, but you're also a human grad student, right? And you have your limits and you need to respect yourself yeah. And you need to understand that, you know, you don't have to take all this, cri cri you know, we always hope that criticism will be constructive. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. And it's, sure. it's going to come sure. from sources that you don't expect it to. I never expected a professor to kind of take this approach with me. And even after multiple meetings of like me trying to be, okay, how am I going to adjust to this teacher's, you know, methodology? Never worked. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. But a lot of that... Just a combination of what Robin and Lauren have said, going back to Lauren's comment about your worth, something that is incredibly important to realize and to remember in grad school is that you are not your work. And the thing, and going back to what Robin was saying, sometimes faculty members forget that. Um, sometimes their interactions with you are coming across their desk. And they lose a little bit of their humanity in that. Um, and that's that's their fault because they've been here longer. They should keep that on their minds. And, you know, we're new here. They should be teaching us how to balance, how to hit that balance. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Being in a situation with a particular professor or sometimes with an entire department who has forgotten that you are more than your work can drain you. And you have and that's when those grad student those grad student friendships or your lifeline. Yeah, that was Hannah Brown <laughs> from, the, from the audience. Yes. Um, transition. I, I think that I think that Linda has. Uh, so we're about to get to Linda in, in just a second, but I think Linda wants to add on to that conversation, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, we could just segue into me completely <laughs> for this like, topic completely. Linda, um, Linda's a, so, Linda's like, I have to she say, you know, they've hit on some very important parts of this whole grad school experience of being in a master's program is two things right here. Um, one, you need to make sure that you're always paying attention to the process and not just that this is a product. Because, yes. you know, if we were, if we were, you know, grad students that were constantly handing in perfect work, what would be the point of grad school? Yeah. You know, the process here is always to improve even if you did something perfect, is there such a thing as perfect? You can always do something better. You can elaborate on something, you know, end up, you can end one page paper with a research topic for another paper, mm -hmm. you know? So you just always have to, like, retain the sense of self-confidence no matter what. And the moment that you start feeling less confident because of a professor, mm -hmm. because of professor's feedback, how they interact with you, because of how you view yourself in the program, just fake it until you make it. That's what you have to do. You have to you have to say, I'm confident. Give yourself a little pep talk and mirror sometimes if you have to. But that's the thing, is you have to remain confident. Why are you at this institution? Why are you studying this? And if you kind of bring it back to that and remind yourself the reasons why you really chose to be in your program, then it's not because you wanted, you know, for your professors to see that you were perfect or that you were handing in perfect work. Sometimes there are days that I sit there and go, okay, this doesn't have to be perfect, but I just have to get it done. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you're gonna have days like that, but essentially you just have to retain that confidence and retain you know, the sense of purpose in your mind for being there. Yeah. And you know, all three of you really touched on a point that I, I we've discussed it a little bit during, in a, during a few other episodes, but this notion of performance and this notion of face as far as what it is for grad students and what it is I, we can only assume in the professoriate as well. So we're, we're within the scope of we're all graduate students in the room. We all have something very, very, very difficult to prove, which is that we deserve a master's degree or we deserve a PhD. And that's kind of one of those things that looms over you for two to six to eight years and it becomes so part of your reality that it's almost as if you can't see past it. That all that there is is academia. But in reality, there's so much more than academia. And it's the, the, one of the hardest things to accept is, going back to what Lauren mentioned about humility, is that 
academia will do one of two things for you. It will humble you or it will, it will make you arrogant. And really, those are the only two avenues I've ever seen anybody go down in my time is in academia. While it be short, six years in academia so far, those are the only two paths I've ever seen anybody take. And so really, that's kind of up to you to decide. And I don't know if that's like a light side, dark side kind of thing, if you want to make it like a Star Wars metaphor. But, you know, remembering that, you know, take a breath for once. You know, remember and be just a little bit, not to plug my research, but be, be mindful. Oh I know. We need a mindful moment about academia, everybody. Just breathe in, breathe mindful. out. Yeah, Anyways, we yeah, we have a question from the audience. Oh, well, it's comment. Oh, comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when, when I tell um, the first year grad students that come in, I'm like, now you're going to be facing a lot of things in, in your grad program. So you're going to be teaching, you're going to be a student, and you have to be a person. Um, so have achievable goals. Like, mm -hmm. I always tell them, I'm like, there's like the triangle of, of existing, and you can choose two things to be like great. Like if you're you're doing a great job if you get two of those things. So like you can do great like you by like being a functioning human and it's achievable goal, so functioning human. <laughs> um, and then like being a good student or like being a good teacher and it, like you don't have to hit all of those. Like you can just honestly if you're just being a functioning human, you're doing great. <laughs> I'm like I'm like I mean be realistic. Like you're and I mean, maybe don't exist your like entire semester on like just functioning human, but <laughs> aim for more. But but like if you only hit one on one on any given day, like you're doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. You got this. I guess now since we have our very first ever time where we have an audience, would you guys want to open up the 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 floor for yeah, some question? I have a question for the panel, and this is open to everyone. Um, it, earlier it was mentioned that you invest in yourselves and. That word made me start thinking about stocks and rising and falling of the value of a stock. And if we're going to invest in ourselves, then we're going to have those ups and downs. So when we are trending down, how do you redirect your trend? Right. We'll go with you. Oh, it's just because I've been through so many of these. I've dealt with them in so many different ways. It was nice to have colleagues who were in the same phase of my of the career path like first year first semester master students or second years actually as well um, but then you also had more advanced students like there were PhD ABDs in my class who had been through hell and back a few times and they were like don't worry it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine. What are you um, talking about me? Just say it. No, I'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> me and Robin had class together in French pronunciation. Anyways keep going. Yeah. It was never you on that one. <laughs> <It's never me. laughs> As another professor that you can talk to because not only have they also been you know that PhD ABD who's experienced the grad school thing they can now see it from the perspective of a professor of someone who has leaked to the other side right mm -hmm. and so they kind of have like a bird a bird eyes bird's eye, bird's eye view on um, like the situation so they can maybe for example, your co-graduate students can sympathize and empathize with what you're handling, but maybe this, maybe someone in the faculty, maybe an instructor can kind of give you an insight as to other perspectives on the situation. And um, and I would take, and I think I did what Linda recommended was just pep talk. You gotta remember your worth, like Hannah said as well, like and you know be a functional human being. And there's more to grad school. There's more to life than grad school. That's one thing that I would say is talk to people that are not in grad school. Exactly, oh, yeah. absolutely. And Love they will remind you that life is, although what we are doing is very important and we're passionate about it and we love it, and it is contributing to society and to our, to our lives as well. Right. Talk to somebody that's not in grad school mm -hmm. to know that there is another world out there. <laughs> and this, you know, and whoever you talk to, it doesn't necessarily have to be a human if you have a
when it comes in handy, like uh, our best friend, like she's like been in retail management forever. So uh -huh. anytime, you know, I even bring up, especially like, oh my gosh, you just hurt my brain. I don't even want to hear about it. Right. So, but it's nice to have that complete break. Like, it's nice. Let's go have fun. You know? Right. Because I mean, because I'm sure most of us have had the shared experience of, you know, we've worked in customer service oriented things, um, whether it be at banks or restaurants or retail. And I'll talk to friends of mine I've worked with at a restaurant about something I'm dealing with. And what was really fascinating was that he he ID'd the same situation. It was a, it was a situation that was identical to something that I had handled at the restaurant among coworkers, among managers, and it was the same kind of negotiating process. And he's like, "Why don't you just do what you did here, but like, a la academia, you know?" And it was insightful. And they wow. again another perspective. Mm -hmm. I was reading an article about um, how to how to deal with stress, uh -huh. and they said one of the biggest things is our inner monologue, mm -hmm. is what perpetuates that stress. And so when you start thinking about the situations, or when you start thinking about all these things, you know, just kind of like stop yourself and say, all right, I'm not going to think about that anymore, because it just it just perpetuates it. So yourself in a situation where you're sitting there like I can't do this I can't do this like you know turn it around and say something positive instead like even exactly. if you have to just like just say I can do this I can do this I can write this intro to this paper a little then bit, a little bit chunk. you know chunk it <laughs> chunk it dunk it I don't know one sentence just a nibble yeah <laughs> and then like you know <laughs> I guess that's like tying in two things here like put it in a chunk and say I can do this chunk you know, like you find yourself saying, I'm not, you know, there were times in my German masters that I would tell myself, oh, my German's not good enough, you know, like I can't keep up with the Germans. And then it's like, oh, you know, what I should be telling myself is I'm speaking a second language and that's impressive. Germans understand you. Yeah, Germans understand me. <laughs> yeah. But that's an impressive thing. It's not like, oh, my, my, my second language isn't up to par. It's like, well, honey, you speak a second language. There's a lot of people out there who t who can't. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think to kind of, it kind of brings it together. I think it works. It's like a little weird. Um, but like to kind of bring it together because Elizabeth started out. The her first thing was like you have to remember that we are in a position in our lives where we are lucky enough to be working with things that interest us we're not necessarily stuck in a job that we don't like and we're not and we're pursuing our goals and things also remember kind of going off what linda said don't let people dictate what you do in graduate school especially advisors advisors will be your best friends and they will be your worst enemies and i you know i've had multiple instances um, where i've heard or i've experienced myself an advisor taking something an idea that you bring to them and they said that's absolutely great do that it's wonderful but maybe let's tweak this part because i'm very much more familiar with these theories and then you, you could definitely flush it out this way and i remember and i had to straight up tell my advisor i was like no because i don't that's not interesting to me i don't understand that and I, it doesn't pertain to essentially what my overall objective is so they're here, uh, and I think it's both graduate students, co-graduate students, and advisors, and faculty, and whoever you encounter in graduate school. They're here to help mold you, but don't eliminate your own, because the greatest um, contribution to your career is yourself. It's not going to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And if that happens to you, and then you just have to be very self-aware and get out of the toxic. And that's, I think that's the most associated word with graduate school, right, is toxic, I think. I've heard. Oh, no, you Plus, it, you know, it really doesn't do anybody any good to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> right, that's true. We all, I don't, I think that we have had probably one of the most rewarding conversations that, I mean, we've had a lot of really rewarding conversations, and this one is definitely at the top of that list, I think. So, I would like to congratulate you all. Thank you so much for participating in the conference, for participating in this Gradlings uh, episode, and I thank you so much to the audience for coming. We would specifically <laughs> like to thank Lauren. She's coming from uh, from a different university. What university? Belmont. 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 She okay, said, so she representing said, Belmont. She, Belmont. she did say Belmont. I'm sorry. I can't see her name tag. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is hidden behind her. 
little bit cold today in Alabama. Anyways, um, we would like to uh, especially thank the University of Alabama, the University of Alabama Languages Conference for letting us host an episode here under the leadership of Rachel Riley, myself, Sarah Steele, and Anne-Sophie. We have, we're very thankful for being able to offer this first ever kind of semi-live podcast, right? <laughs> uh, we would also like to thank the Department of Modern Languages and Classics, uh, who is under the leadership of Doug Lightfoot, the department chair. We would like to thank all of the team of people that kind of make our world go around, like Norman, what is his middle name? Bernard. <laughs> Bernard. We had to give it a little bit of a southern system and uh, to, to all of you guys, the listeners out there, uh, far and wide, grad students, remember that you are not alone and we are going to push for that healthy learning environment. We will make it happen. Please follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and now that Robin is here live in front of us, she can give us all of those handle names. What is that? Grab the podcast. Oh yeah, okay, so... <laughs> I don't know why I was... <laughs> Anyways. And, um, you know, give us a shout-out at... Uh, give us a shout-out on any of those social media platforms. If you are interested in being featured on an episode, if you have something to say as far as your research, let us know. We are preparing season four, the, the, the list of people, the list of guests, and thank you all so much. Thank you, everybody, again, for being in attendance, and we will see you guys next time. You know, that was a four-minute thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's in a home design. She's just a baby.